0: Live in three, two, one. Hello and welcome everyone to the No Outlet Podcast. And I got to tell you, this show in particular means an awful lot to me, and it's another first for the No Outlet Podcast. We have one of the original pioneers of the industrial hemp movement on the show. Uh, back in the early 90s, I was lucky enough to own and operate a hemp company. Uh, and I rem- remember meeting our guest at a trade show in New York City. Uh, and his company was what I would consider one of the original five hemp companies. And I was so impressed at that show with how far they had taken the idea and, and what they were doing to kind of expand on it. And it was really motivating. And, and that meeting kind of made me continue to run my company and do the best job I could do. Uh, over the next five years, I continued to, until I sold my company, I continued to see him at events and continued to be impressed. And he's never stopped working uh, for for the hemp plant, and it's really, truly impressive. Uh, so without any further ado, please help me welcome to the show a true hemp industry pioneer, Eric Steenstra. Eric, thank you so much for being here.
1: Yeah, Ethan, thanks so much for having me on today. Glad to be here.
0: Uh, it seems like a million years ago, 1993, but... Uh, in some ways it seems like yesterday too. So, um, we're going to play a game called 20 questions, Eric. Um, and it always starts the exact same place. And that's question number one, question number one, do you believe that hemp can help to save the planet?
1: Yeah, I, I, I definitely do. Uh, I think it's going to be a pretty big, uh, you know, contributor, uh, obviously it can, uh, can capture carbon. It can produce, uh, thousands of, um, you know, sustainable products, uh, you know, can produce, uh, you know, let farmers produce, uh, energy, uh, instead mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, uh, all these other extractive sources like, uh, you know, pulling carbon out of the, out of the ground and, you know, mm. uh, hydrocarbons and whatnot. So, uh, you know, when I, when I look at hemp, I think it's, uh, you know, it's an amazing plant and, uh, definitely going to play a role. It's already doing that and it's going to continue to grow.
0: Yeah. No pun intended, or pun intended. Um, yeah. Um, all right. So as I mentioned, you know, you were around from what I would call like the rebirth of hemp, because obviously hemp had been around for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, depending upon what part of the the globe you're talking about. But it went dormant for a long time, and we'll get into reasons why about, you know, that happened later. Uh, but what got you interested in hemp initially? Because when you did get involved, it wasn't like everybody was doing it. Like you were one of the first, what, what drove you to, to start a hemp company?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I, I, uh, I have to give, you know, most of the credit really to Jack Herr, mm-hmm. um, you know, but through my, my partner, my former partner, Steve D'Angelo, who, uh, he and I started a clothing company called Ecolution. Yeah. I'll give him a good bit of the credit too. He was the one that shared Jack's book with me and, uh, said that there was something really interesting, you know, to take a look at, you know, and 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 consider. And so I, I read the book and I came back to him and we started that started a conversation that went on for probably about a year trying to think about how we could uh you know uh you know potentially uh get involved and you know that why why it was important to do that. And so, you know, for anybody out there who may not have uh already heard of Jack Hare or his book, The Emperor Wears No Clothes, it's a, it it's a great read yeah. and it's the thing that got so many of us into the industry early on
0: yeah no I, I completely agree with that go read the book if you hadn't uh, it seems you know like a lot of it is logical but he puts it in a way that really exposes you know uh, some of the shortcomings of how we got to that place and and it was that was part of the motivation for me too I was coming out of college the economy was terrible in 92 when I graduated I didn't really know what I wanted to do, what I could do. Uh, I liked marijuana. I knew that. Um, and so I was like, you know, and even though marijuana and hemp are two totally different things, there is some symmetry between the two, and, and it did, you know, kind of lead me that way. Uh, so, again, going back to Ecolution, which, again, I, I, it was always a company I looked up to. What was the first hemp product that you guys offered for sale?
1: Yeah, I think the at the very beginning when we first started to – out of probably was hemp twine. It was probably yeah. the very first thing that we got our hands on and said, "Okay, here's something we could uh, market." And as you probably remember, at that time there was a resurgence of interest in macrame, mm-hmm. and a lot of people were making hemp necklaces and jewelry, and you know all sorts of different things uh, using twine for that. So I think that was the first thing that we uh, we sold.
0: Yeah, you guys had all the different gauges. You had the sixty gauge, the eighty gauge, the one twenty. I remember you had uh, the best collection my mother actually had a retail store throughout that entire time and you were her uh her hemp twine supplier i mean when i think about the number of macrame hemp macrame pieces of jewelry that were made from 1994 to 2000 it's it's mind-blowing it's got to be in the millions if not yeah millions.
1: i'm almost feeling like it's it's time for it to come make another resurgence those things go in cycles and i feel like maybe the you know, the Packer make could come back again here. Yeah. It was such a uh, fun thing that uh, so many cool things and people could make their own, learn how to do it and stuff. So, uh, Absolutely. yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I like that. Um, you know, one funny thing that I always thought was, you know, equally amusing and sometimes annoying, you know, we'd be at these trade shows and uh, all different types of trade shows, whether it was the Javits Center or sometimes we'd be at the Cannabis Cup in Amsterdam, mm-hmm. to get some international bills business it didn't matter where we were at least from my perspective somebody would always come up and ask the question um, you know can you smoke this how many times do you oh think my gosh. Heard, how many times do you think you've heard that question asked at a trade show
1: yeah you know it's it's a great great uh, thing to think about honestly I don't hear that question very much anymore right? I haven't heard it in quite a few years but yeah. I do remember us hearing that a ton at the shows and I'll tell you that's another little quick story. Uh, We went with uh, the Headcase folks to do the Woodstock 94 show in Saugerties, New York, and that was quite an event for us. We took a lot of hemp products there, and I probably heard, uh, can you smoke it, more times uh, at that show than I heard. (laughs) ever before so uh yeah we had to educate a lot of people about it but i think we've 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 gotten past that a while back here
0: that's good good to hear um so ecolution was from my memory one of the first companies to go directly to where the hemp mills were in eastern europe and work directly with them uh that gave you such a huge advantage it was such a huge innovative move I'm curious: Are those hemp factories? And I'm assuming the answer is yes, but I really don't know. Are those same hemp factories you dealt with all those years ago uh, still in operation today?
1: Some of them are, and in fact, I still uh, do some some work with uh, the original one that we first met in Hungary. Mm-hmm. Uh, a company named Kenderfono, which is the sure. you know essentially the first hemp spinning company, is what their name means in Hungarian, and uh, they had been in business since the 1870s. So we love that. Still, they're still doing it today, and uh, yeah, a few of the others are still around, but some of them have kind of transformed. So it's yeah, uh, you know, but yes, they they are still there.
0: Good to hear. Good to hear. Um, in your opinion, Eric, is it safe to say that greed was, if not the only reason, the main reason that the power of the hemp plant was kind of put to sleep for over fifty years?
1: I think there's no question about it. You know, there was. Well, it was a combination of grief and some racism and you know other, you know, just awful factors, right? You know, the uh, I mean, Onslinger had his own motivations that seemed to be very, uh, you know, oriented towards uh, you know some racist comments and all those sensationalist articles that were in the Hearst papers and whatnot. Anybody reads Jack's book, you get the whole history on that. But yeah. It did seem like there were, you know, competing factors that came in and, and were that were there as well. But there was definitely, uh, you know, um, they, they were opposed to marijuana and they just wanted to kind of, you know, I mean, actually they made promises that they were, this wasn't going to affect the hemp industry when they first started taxing marijuana. They right. said, oh, you can keep growing it just like you always did. Well, that didn't turn out to be true. So,
0: yeah. Sometimes they, they say things that aren't true those people that are interested in taking on yeah. the money, right? Um, all right. Absolutely. So, um, you know, again, your company was early on, but I'm assuming that, you know, you read the book, Jack Harris' book, then you and your partner, Steve, start, start talking about forming this company. Aside from the products that you made and that you brought to market, what was the first hemp product that you ever saw as a consumer before you owned a hemp company?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I can't say when exactly I remember seeing the product. It doesn't stick in my mind as far as the exact date and time and place, but I think I think the first hemp products that I saw were probably either from Hempstead Company. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the Hempstead Company out of California, you know, they were they were true pioneers, you yeah, know. Absolutely. Uh, and um, you know they they were they they were really the first hemp clothing line that we had seen anywhere, and so uh, definitely have a you know good memory of of that. And I think that may be one of the first products that I actually got my hands on. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, that was definitely the first one I saw. Was the hemp? They had a really nice line of hats. Um, you know, and some were just basic. Mm-hmm. Like you said you know, one hundred percent hemp. Um, all different, yep. you know, embroidery on there. But that was the first thing that I remember seeing. Um, all right. So, yeah, cur- yeah I mean, and, and now it's like the possibilities are, are, are endless. And, and to that point, you're currently involved in an organization called Vote Hemp. In fact, I believe you're the president, if I'm not mistaken. Um, what can you yep. tell people that are listening uh, about Vote Hemp and maybe how they might be able to get involved if they wanted to help support the uh, the movement?
1: Yeah, sure. So Vote Hemp was a uh, you know it's a 501c4 advocacy sort of grassroots advocacy non-profit group it was founded in 2000 by uh, a number of people in the industry you know myself david bronner uh you know steve levine uh and some others in any case i can't name everybody but uh but uh yeah some people that all kind of most of who are hia members mm-hmm. association members and were all involved in the industry and so uh just kind of realizing that you know we were having to import hemp from you know Asia or you know Eastern Europe or wherever we were going, and it was creating a lot of challenges logistically and cost wise and we knew that this you know crop had been grown here for centuries in the United States, and so we thought it was kind of crazy that uh, American farmers couldn't be part of this and that we couldn't source our our hemp here and so bone hemp was kind of a really just founded with the idea of educating and advocating to bring back hemp as a commercial crop in the united states and that was our goal just to change federal and state law to bring it back so
0: and you've had some wins there in that regard so on that note what's the current state of the hemp movement i know that when we you know going back to the early 90s again you know it it was, there wasn't the right machinery for, you know, hemp cultivation. I don't even think at the time that anybody was allowed to uh, cultivate hemp. And now that's all changed. Where do things stand now with the hemp movement in the U S and globally?
1: Yeah. So that, that's right. The, you know, the, the law that uh, was put in place, you know, so we talked about the uh, 1930s era, right. With Mm -hmm. uh, Onslinger and the marijuana tax act. Well, then in 1970 they passed the Controlled Substances Act, at that point they banned all cultivation of cannabis. Period, without a DEA license, which was virtually impossible to get <laughs> except for research <laughs> and uh, in very limited, you know, sort of university controlled research or whatever. Yep. And so um, we, yeah, we couldn't grow it here at all, and uh, and so you know, we had to, you know, that that was that was what we had to change was to distinguish the two because they basically lumped hemp in with marijuana, there was no distinction at all about the agricultural crop mm-hmm. versus somebody growing it for, you know, for, for drug purposes or.
0: Right. Right. Um, so what's the, so with that as the, the backdrop for the next question, what's the next big hurdle that will allow hemp to come closer to its true potential? Because, you know, without getting on a soapbox, I mean, cause this, is, this was the reason why I, I started a hemp company and ran it for five years the plant can literally do so many different things, whether you're talking about, you know, replacing plastic injection molding items that might be found in your car or other, you know, consumables, um, to getting things that are, you know, biodegradable out there instead of, again, plastic. You know, plastics are a huge problem for so many reasons, and and hemp fiber uh, and hemp compressed, you know, uh, material can replace a lot of that. But in order to make that something that is accepted by, you know, the places that it needs to be accepted. What's the nest, the next big hurdle that needs to be overcome to get there?
1: Well, yeah, so we've kind of overcome the political hurdles at this point, Yep. you know, all 50 States have, have, you know, I mean, federal law was changed first in in 2014 and then, and then in 2018 to ultimately allow for, you know, to move hemp under the USDA and all that. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and to allow cultivation and, uh, and now we have, you know, all 50 states have programs that are approved, but not all quite operating yet. And uh, you know, tribes are doing it, the whole nine yards. So I think the next step is to, you know, it's really more about infrastructure and some policy. You know, um, we're we're lacking on infrastructure. Of course, we weren't growing the crop for 70 plus years, or uh, and so we, you know, the the, the genetics were lost. The uh, you know the processing equipment wasn't there, so we needed investments in that, uh, and that's starting to happen. And then, you know, um, I think, you know, just just developing all those those you know ch- the market channels, right? And, and and innovation on the products. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, people are starting to realize what an amazing plant this is, and all the things you can do. You mentioned plastics and these kinds of things. I don't think those were envisioned back in the 1930s when you know, sort of the last. Right. era when it was uh, freely grown. And so, you know, now we're taking a fresh look at this plant and saying, Okay, what can we do with this? And uh it's a it's a lot different than that you know, that old look of, you know, ropes and canvas and and that type of thing. So uh you know, I think applying science and ingenuity and technology to this plant, uh, you know, we're starting to see a lot of great innovations happen and you know, hemp is just gonna be in it's it's gonna be moving into a lot of different areas.
0: Yeah.
1: Every yeah, even the even people things people wouldn't think of like uh, you know superconductors, right? The you know they need graphene. Well, they figured out a way to convert hemp into uh, into graphene. Is that right? Uh, and at a, at a much cheaper, a much much cheaper rate than what graphene costs. So yeah, so there's some amazing things that are starting to happen, and yeah, we could start seeing you know applications that nobody could ever really imagine before.
0: That's awesome. You know, in an ironic way, it almost seems like the same, you know, so we talked about greed being the reason why or one of the reasons why, you know, hemp was kind of put in that freeze for 50 to 70 years. And it almost seems like the best way to fully pull it out of that freeze and get it to the point where it's completely being maximized as far as its utility is going to be greed, right? Because if there's enough dollars out there to be made by people that – are currently manufacturing using plastics or, you know, any other product, you know, you just brought up one for semiconductors or anything else. It almost has Mm -hmm. to be a driver of, of these entities, these commerce entities to say, okay, wow, we should consider changing over our process and our machinery to utilize this plant because there's more money for us. So um, would you agree with that? There needs to be some of that pull now on the other side to see hey, this could be a, a more financially viable way, and, and can the government help by putting any kind of you know, subsidy yeah. in place or other stuff, you know?
1: Yeah, that's already starting to happen, right? So once USDA was brought into the picture, you know, it's like night and day difference between, you know, having DEA as your regulatory agency, which is everything is is no, you can't do it, and, you know, all these restrictions. To USDA, who sees this crop as, as you know, another great potential agricultural crop, and they are, they are putting money into research and uh, supporting a variety of different research programs that are, you know, putting, putting funding in the right, in some of the right places. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're seeing states that are establishing uh, centers of excellence. Uh, I know, you know, Oregon State University has established one. and I think other states are looking at that as well. Working around hemp uh, and accessing dollars from the National Institute of Food and Agriculture, mm-hmm. there's just a lot. There's a lot of that starting to happen already, and so uh, I think that's that's going to lead to some really good things for uh, you know for the industry, new developments, and more potential paths to market.
0: Here, here. Um, so, from your perspective, uh, you know, you're very obviously probably as in tuned with the progress of the plant in the United States as anybody else. But from your perspective, what country outside of the U.S. has advanced the furthest with uh, doing the same, you know, taking the, the potential of the hemp plant and, and trying to, to make it so. I mean, I remember Germany, I don't know why I remember this, but back in the early nineties, they were one of the countries that I think were out there, one of the first industrialized first world countries that were out there saying, hey, we should do something more with this plant and kind of opening it up. Has that changed? Are there other countries that are now way kind of past where the U.S. is, and, and if so, which countries?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I don't think there's a, there's there's an easy answer to that. I think there's different countries focusing on different areas. Uh, you mentioned Germany; uh, they did drive, I think, the uh, the move to bring hemp fiber into composites and and uh, composite materials to replace you know fiberglass. I think they, the part of that was, uh, was laws that they passed to make require cars to be essentially recyclable. Mm-hmm. And, um, so they started looking at the materials and, uh, realized that they could use ag fibers in uh, in replace fiberglass, not only, you know, to make it recyclable, but to lighten the weight of the material and, uh, even improve how it operated in crash tests. Right. Uh, so there were some advantages gained there. And, uh, that opened the market for, you know, big sector with the auto industry. Uh, you got in Canada, they've really focused uh, largely on the grain, you know, the hemp for, for foods or for, you know, industrial oils or body care, skin care, that kind of thing. Sure. And they've done a lot to innovate in that space and uh, and really develop that market. And, um, you know, uh, I think in China, they've focused a little bit more sort of on traditional textiles and some innovations around that. So there's been innovations happening in different, uh, you know, different areas. I think yep. uh, around that, and then of course, like I said, the U.S. is is jumping in, and some of these exciting things I mentioned, the graphene piece, right? That was a uh, professor who was at Clarkson University and uh, who uh, you know came up with that that uh, technique. And and there's other uh, other innovations that are happening now, looking at uh, how they can uh, you know utilize. Uh, you know different components of hemp and, and different ways to uh you know to 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 advantageous. So um yeah. there's a professor I know at Virginia Tech that came up with a way to combine C B D with uh magnesium and uh create a new substance that works better than C B D because it's more bioavailable. It processes through oh wow. Uh the lymphatic system instead of the the liver and you know so there's just all sorts of things like that, that are happening. Some of them are privately funded and some are uh you know getting help from the government.
0: That's really cool. That's good to hear. I did not know that. That's interesting. Um, so of all the hemp products, I mean, you could make an argument that you, among a handful of other people, have probably been and seen uh, a lot of hemp products, some that probably never made it out of the, uh, you know, the 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 prototype stage all the way through to fully realized commercial products that are used uh, in manufacturing. So of all the hemp products that you've ever seen, uh, what is your favorite hemp product? Favorite?
1: Products. Well, I'm wearing one of my favorites right now. A good friend of mine uh named Richard Dash from Dash to who's back from you know, our, our still makes some of the my the most favorite and, and comfortable hemp clothing. But yes. man, it's awfully hard to nail it down. I mean, I eat hemp, for, you know, hemp for, for breakfast. I had an avocado toast this morning with uh with hemp shelled hemp seeds, you know, hemp hearts on it, sure. and. uh Oh, man, I don't know. Favorite hemp product. That's a tough one. I love Dr. Bronner's. They make some amazing uh, soaps and, uh, you know, shower with those every day. So yeah. uh, I guess the ones that are my favorites are the ones I use all the time.
0: There you go. Yeah, and a yep. quick shout-out to Dr. Bronner's because he was one of the – I mean, first of all, I love, I love the fact that his packaging – you know, my parents used to buy that product in, like, 1976 or 77 or whatever it was. Yep. And that packaging has not changed one bit. I love it. It looks the same as it always did. It's no nonsense. And he was one of the first people way back when, one of the first, quote unquote, legitimate companies that was like, you know what? Let's do this. And he, you know, kind of stepped out there and said, I want to work with hemp too. And I think now there's a lot of other people, but he was among the first and I always liked him for that
1: yeah i mean david was was a you know was a real leader on this not only on the on the product side obviously they have kept the, the vision their grandfather had you know, with the soaps and like you said the packaging the labeling and everything is has, has, has been kept you know true throughout the process but uh yeah they innovated by including hemp oil which wasn't an original ingredient to improve the soap a little bit and uh but yeah david's just been i mean just been a giant here in the industry and uh you know did a lot to help make boat hump even possible and uh, and it supported a lot of other things within the industry that people don 't see so they give so much back yeah. to uh, causes they believe in and david and and his brother Mike and the whole family to his mom Trudy uh, they are they 've been amazing and uh, yeah i can 't say enough nice things about Dr. Bonner's. and what a great company they are yeah. just uh, yeah
0: agree, um, one of my favorites. All right. All right. So I'm going to ask you to, to get out your crystal ball. I know you have one um, and and take a look in it and and tell me in five years from now. Okay. Uh, and I'm not talking about maybe the product that people know the most, but what's going to be the hemp product that is uh, most commonly out there. So it could be a door panel of a car. It could be graphene uh, or, or substitute for graphene. It could be the, the new CBD magnesium product. But from your perspective, what you can see in five years, what's going to be the, the one product that is used the most by the largest number of people and therefore kind of by volume, if you will, uh, the most popular hemp product, even if some people don't even know it's going to be there?
1: Yeah, you know, that is a, that's a tough one, right? Trying to get the crystal ball out and see where this all heads. If you had asked me, uh, you know, 10 years ago, what was going to, where we were heading, I don't think I would have seen that, uh, you know, CBD was going to be as massive as it was, right. uh, you know, from hemp. Right. And, uh, re- you know, realize that we, that the industry was going to innovate in that way. And right now, no question about it. Uh, you know, um, hemp cannabinoid products, primarily CBD derivatives are, are probably, you know, being used by more consumers than any other, you know, any other hemp product out there. Right. And, um, you know, it has some amazing potential, and I, I think there's, you know, we're going to continue to see people using it. But, uh, you know, we might see, uh, you know, might see uh, uh, foods, um, you know, as as an area where I think that, that that could be really, you know, there's just so much room for uh, for innovation there. And I think a lot of the the mainstream food manufacturers haven't jumped into this headfirst yet. We're starting to see some, you know, Colgate's come out with a tooth, hemp toothpaste and things like that. But, Is that uh, right? Yeah, they did, wow. and uh, the big innovation there, or the big breakthrough there, was the fact that uh, uh, that hemp, uh, the three main ingredients from hemp—the protein powder, the hemp seed oil, and the um, the shelled hemp seed, the hulled hemp seeds—have uh, all been approved for what they so-called "grass" status, are generally recognized as safe. Huh. So um, that status kind of is a is a you know benchmark for big, you know, corporate, you know, the the, the Kellogg's Nabisco type uh, companies are only going to work with ingredients that are at that, you know, sort of level of uh, safety. And so I think that was a big breakthrough. And I think we're going to see a lot more hemp, uh, you know, hemp products. I'm seeing them, you know, just continuing to, to grow. And I know, you know, uh, it used to be, you only mostly find them at co-ops and Whole Foods, but now we're starting to see, you know, Costco and Safeway and all these mainstream retailers that are starting to carry these products. So, I think maybe the hemp foods might be the one that gets out there to more people. Uh, you know, in five years, I, yeah. that's 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 what I'm thinking. I
0: like that answer. That's good stuff. All right. So, if somebody had told you, and and this is just my perspective, and maybe I'm wrong, but it seems to me that from night, let's call it 1995. I think your company started in '93. I was '94. Um, but mm-hmm. From that point, you know, there there was some serious headwinds. For hemp, But they're also at the same time, you could make an argument, even greater headwinds for marijuana um, to the point where if you owned a head shop, you know, in some of those years and you were selling pipes, they'd come in and shut you down. You know, it was you could still yeah. go to jail for 25 years in most states. And now fast forward to today and you could make an argument that more people than not are at least socially accepting of the fact that just like a six pack or a bottle of Jack Daniels or a bottle of aspirin or anything else that people might use at their own discretion, marijuana has gotten there, if you will. So there's like 20, 30 States, whatever it is that have legalized it in one way or another, that's not going to slow down. That's going to keep going. There's stocks for marijuana growers and and that is not going to go the other direction. I don't think, but if somebody had said to you in 1995, right, with their crystal ball, Hey, uh, in, in 25 years from now, in 30 years from now, uh, marijuana is going to be more readily available than industrial hemp, what would you have said to them?
1: Well, I mean, I, I don't, I would have said, I don't think it's going to take that long. And I didn't honestly think it was going to take us as long as it did on okay. the, you know, All right. to get hemp legal. I was kind of surprised it was such a slow process, but that maybe I've been a bit naive on my part. Right. Right. I, uh, you know, I clear, clearly, you know, Marijuana prohibition was a was a massive failure, and the and the public has recognized that. Yeah. And uh, it's better to regulate it and uh, control it than to uh, to just allow black market. So, um, sure. you know, in in so many ways, I don't know if if it is more available right now. You know, than than hemp though. I think yep. when it comes down to it, you know, you think about, for example, what hemp derived cannabinoids like CBD have done. Right? Yeah, they you know true. they've enabled enabled products to to end up in all these retail outlets, uh, you know, and some of the good and some of the not so good. I mean, unfortunately the FDA has refused to step up and properly regulate this. They've just kind of, you know, said, well, we're going to keep on studying this and ev- mm-hmm. you know, eventually maybe they'll come around with a policy on it. But the result of that has been that, you know, in addition to some of the really great products that are out there, uh, that are that are produced properly and following all the sort of general regulations that are out there for supplements and foods and labeling and you know uh good manufacturing practices all that there's there's some pretty bad products out there yeah and um you know disappointing i mean I, i'm i'm especially concerned about the the latest trend here with this uh, these delta 8 products um uh, which you know so called delta 8 and uh which are being synthesized and they're not actually uh you know sort of a, a natural product, and, and from what I've seen from some lab results uh, that have been shared out there that uh, a lot of them don't actually just contain Delta-8, and there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of questions about mm. how safe they are and, and how how they're being produced and that kind of thing, so yeah. I want to see good products on the market, things that are you know, well-tested and safe for consumers, and uh, I think most, you know, a lot of the hemp products are, but uh, yeah, that's that's an area where we, hopefully the government will figure out a, a good way to, uh, you know, to have reasonable regulations to ensure that the, the, you know, the consumers are getting good quality.
0: Yeah. Amen. Yeah, no, that, that's so important. Um, all right. So I'm going to test my own memory here. If I remember correctly, I believe that prior to getting involved uh, with Ecolution, I think it, it, at one point in time you were a concert promoter. Um, is that, first of all, let me, let me stop there and make sure that's right. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I got involved and in, uh, I did. Uh, I did. Uh, you know, booking and advertising and concert promotion uh, before I got into uh, the Hemp the Jazz,
0: right. Okay, good. That, I'm glad that that checks out, and I wasn't just dreaming that. Um, so, with that as the context, what's the best concert that you've ever seen?
1: <laughs> well, I'm just going to have to go back to the to number one here, the very first show I ever saw. Which was uh, Black Sabbath with the opening act Van Halen. No, and uh, yeah, Van Halen opened for Black Sabbath and uh, pretty much blew me away. And so I don't think I I don't think I ever saw a show quite as uh, impactful as that. I've I've seen some other great, amazing shows. Stevie Ray Vaughan, probably one of my other uh, all-time favorites, seeing him in a club and that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, that first one (laughs) was pretty good. Pretty good place to start.
0: No doubt. So wait, so Van Halen, what, so what album were they touring on when they opened up? This was their
1: very first album, and it was in Germany. I was, my dad was uh, stationed in uh, Germany. He was was in the Air Force, and so uh, it was 1978, and uh, Black Sabbath was the headliner on the Never Say Die tour, and and, uh, Van Halen was, you know, touring uh, to support their first album they had just uh, put out. I don't know how long it had been out when I I saw them, but... uh, You know, it was uh, it was the classic Van Halen show that you remember from the very beginning. Uh, yeah. David Lee Roth with the the black and white swirly pants, jump, jumping all over the place, and Eddie Van Halen just doing stuff with a guitar nobody'd ever seen before. So it was, it's yeah. like, what the heck? Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I, I didn't the, go to – I mean, I got the tickets to go see Sabbath, right, because that's the band I knew. Sure. But Van Halen was what made the impression on me that night. So Yeah,
0: and if you think about what – I mean, so everyone knows Van Halen now, and they went through a couple of different, like, stages of their career. But when mm-hmm. they first, first started in 78 – not only the music they were putting out, but you like you mentioned the stage show and, and and Eddie Van Halen's guitar playing, that was so cutting edge. Like nobody was doing that. Nobody was playing guitar that way. Nobody had mm-hmm. the, the chord progressions. I mean, the music was good, number one. And then you have this crazy person, David Lee Roth, doing like spinning back kicks, and you know it was like yeah. it, it wasn't really hair metal, but it was kind of the precursor to hair metal. Like without Van yeah. Halen, there would have been no Motley Crue. There would have been guns and roses they, all of those they, that's terrific, right you know
1: that's right i mean i think they they may have been, been able to point to say aerosmith or something like that or i don't know what all they said their influences were but in any case they were certainly on a new a new uh, era there and and uh, yeah seeing eddie van halen those guys unbelievable so i'll never forget that show
0: that's awesome that's a good one all
1: right we got two questions yeah. left
0: two questions left second to last question is um, and it doesn't have to be anything high flute and it doesn't have to be impressive, but what TV show, um, has got you hooked
1: right now? What TV shows got me hooked right now? You know, <laughs> uh, my wife and I love to watch, uh, the resident. I don't know if you've ever seen that show, but, uh, been watching that. I mean, I, there's a few others. We love the, uh, you know, uh, game of Thrones or whatever, sure. but, uh, yeah, you know, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, not, not doing it, you know ton of tv watching but i'd say that's that's the one i'm uh i'm into right now it's yeah. the resident too busy for uh, tv
0: i like that so wait what is the what is the resident i've never even heard of that the resident
1: oh uh, it's just a really good medical drama show uh okay. you know based in atlanta and it's kind of uh my wife is in, in healthcare. she's a nurse and so it's kind of seeing sort of how how things really work behind the scenes and gotcha. in healthcare, and you know how decisions are made you know i think uh there's a lot of debate in this country about whether we should have public health care, private health care. It exposes some of the, you know, what the result is when, you know, when money's when, when, when ultimately it's a business, right. You know, and uh, you are to make money and all that. So, yeah.
0: I just actually interviewed uh, somebody who is in the healthcare system in Australia. And one of the questions that I asked her was if there was anything that we could learn from Mm -hmm. the way that Australia does it, because they've got, for the most part, they've got, you know, quote unquote, free healthcare, care. Um, and she yeah. pointed out that, you know, while some of it is great and it definitely is a cost savings, you know, there are with any system you have, it doesn't matter what it is. There's always yeah. going to be upsides and downsides. And she pointed out a couple of downsides to doing it the way that they do it compared to she's married to an American or someone that used to live in mm-hmm. America. And, you know, the differences between the two, it's not so easy just to say, well, it's better to d- give it all free. There's a lot to it. Um,
1: Oh, yeah, and of course, it's not really free, you know, that's it's paid right. for by taxes that's right, but at least in this case, uh you know decisions are i guess you know are not just made based on on the bottom line, for example, whether or not you're going to be able to get a certain or not, uh, isn't only determined by uh you know your ability to pay or that kind of thing so
0: that's right
1: I don't know it's a it's a difficult uh difficult situation, but if you look where we are with healthcare right now, the costs are really high. And, uh, you know, some people have it and some people don't. And yeah. you know, it's just terrible when you see people that, uh, you know, can't get basic health care. So I yeah. think that's a, you know, you know, two, anyways,
0: yeah, two final notes on health care. One, I think that we could probably do a better job than we're doing now. And two, I think that greed has a lot to do with the genesis of some of the issues. But uh, that's not Mm -hmm. my problem to fix, thankfully. All right. So, all right. Um, All right. Last question. Uh, For the people that are uh, listening to this, um, how can they find you online? How can they learn more about Vote Hemp? How can they get involved in the movement if they want to give a donation? What's the best way for anybody who wants to help, uh, wants to learn more? What do they do? Where do they go? Yeah.
1: Great. Thanks for asking. So, um, you know, uh, the, the main, the main resources, our website, we're at vote com, mm-hmm. And, uh, there's a few things on there that I could point people to, uh, you know, first off, we are working to change the, uh, the current law defines hemp as uh, three tenths of a percent THC or less, which is all we could achieve in, you know, in, in mm-hmm. the last farm bill, it was the best we could get. And, uh, It wasn't good enough so we're working to try to get that to move to a one percent or less definition we have a petition on there and definitely asking people to sign that petition and so we can encourage your listeners to go and visit the site and sign the petition there's also a free crop report from 2020 if you're interested to find out what's happening in your state or anywhere else around the country we uh, collected data from as many States as would give us uh, the information and uh, put that online, and then, uh, yeah, if you want to, you know, uh, make a, a donation to support what, what our ongoing work, we we always appreciate that. There's a donate donate button on there. We would definitely welcome any uh, financial support that anybody wants to to uh, to give us.
0: Absolutely, uh, well worth it. It's a great cause. Um, and this this guy has been doing it since the beginning uh, of the movement. And again, I, I, I said it before. I'm going to say it one more time as we wrap. He was so influential. I mean, I ran my company for five or six years and it was the, the way that I put, you know, food on the table for my family. And I'm in my mm-hmm. office right now. and I'm looking around. I'm seeing all these different um, products. I see the, the hemp uh, Adidas shoes. I think you guys sold yep. those. So it just, I, I thank you for everything that you've ever done. You are a huge motivator for me to get involved with it. And it's really great to have people like you still involved.
1: Well, yeah. And thanks for everything that, uh, you know, you did. Lost Harvest was a great brand. You guys did some nice innovations. I still love the, the, the flyer, the sure. head flyer and uh, flyer. Yeah. some of the freedom flyer and some of the other products that, uh, that you made. And so appreciate you. And, uh, and uh, everything you did to help uh, you know, get, this, uh, get this hemp uh, industry off the ground. So yeah. thanks, Ethan.
0: It was a lot of fun. Eric, hey, thank you so much for your time, guys. Go check out Vote Hemp. Uh, check out the website. Donate. See what you can do to help. And, again, appreciate your time. Hope you have a great day, Eric. Thanks again. Thanks, Ethan. All right. Take care.